by way of quick review, why have we been doing this series? If you've been here most of these weeks, hopefully you've heard these threads throughout, uh, but I will repeat them just real quick. We bear God's image as sub-creators. Beauty and art are a common grace. We live in a highly visual culture, and art and artists are misunderstood. And that's a big one that we talked about last week, how artists are misunderstood. And we'll be, t- we'll be looking at that a little bit um, today as well. Today we're going to be looking at supporting artists and the arts. But before we go any further, I'm going to start with prayer, if that's okay. Almighty Father, creator of the universe, creator of us, You gave us breath. You gave us life. You helped us wake up this morning. And Father, we are truly grateful of that. Help us to see your work in our world that uh, you have brought and given us beauty as a wonderful gift. Could we treasure that for the gift that it is? Could we be made new because of the beauty of your son? Could we be made whole by the work of your spirit? Father, we pray for the artists in our community, both here at InTown but also in Atlanta, that we could help, help them to grow even more into their gifting and that we could celebrate uh, the wonders of your love uh, by way of how they show us the truth uh, and beauty and goodness uh, of yours in the world. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Uh, by way of quick review from last week, we talked about cultural engagement and I gave us, hopefully, I, hoping it was helpful, some guides on how to engage the arts, that we can engage the arts as a mirror, as it holds up something to us and exposes some truth about us that maybe we need to confess, that we might have trouble confessing, that arts can be a window, they can help us to look into the life of someone else, whether that's the artist or perhaps someone who connects and would say that this artist speaks in a way that I speak. And so if you can look at someone with a different viewpoint perspective of your own, you can gain an insight by looking through this window into their lives. But also, the arts allow us to have a bridge to people in the culture. Uh, And that was a way that we saw of connecting and and using the arts as a way to have conversations and find commonality uh, with people that we might not on the surface have commonality with. Now, your homework was to do one of these, or all of them, mirror, window, bridge. Anybody bold enough that uh, you might have done your homework wanted to raise your hand and, and speak out nice and bold? share, and I wasn't intentionally doing the homework, but it ended up, now that I see this and I hear Suzanne's story, we were given some tickets to a concert to go over to Eddie's Attic, uh, see a a wonderful um, folk duo, and we were given four tickets, and it was like 36 hours before, so like we're asking just about everybody we know, and we ended up texting uh, a family that we've been getting to know through baseball, and our sons are connecting through that, and we asked them, and they said, well, actually, we're we were already going on Tuesday, so we wouldn't want to go. But, and, and they said this, knowing that you like them and we have shared musical tastes, maybe we should hang out more and go see a show together. And so that unexpected, they made the bridge of saying that. Um, so uh, there's opportunities out there. Uh, and I encourage you to uh, see how we can engage with the world by, by means of the arts. All right, but now... We are going to get to uh, the meat of the day. On your table, there uh, is a packet of papers. Uh, Go ahead and take uh, a packet and start with the one that has the question, are you a patron? And there's eight questions. And read each one carefully. I'm not going to read them aloud. 
read them and answer just yes or no. I don't need, you don't need to qualify it as a maybe, either a firm yes or a firm no, and then total it when you get to the bottom of the page. If you answered yes to seven or eight of these questions, you rock. You, you, are, you are definitely a patron. Like that, that's a lot of work to, to be able to, to honestly say yes to all of those. If you answered yes to five or six, you're still a patron. That's still, it's a lot to be able to be able to get to that. If you answered yes to fewer than five, that's perfectly fine. And there's a lot of opportunities. Hopefully this entire class has been a way to perhaps inspire you. And we'll get down to the nitty gritty of some ways that you can maybe start to grow as a patron. But I want to hear how some, what some of you discussed. Um, more so, like what was surprising about some of the questions? that were on this quiz. This was actually, I didn't share where this quiz came from. Back in 20, I guess about 10, 2010, I think. I, it's hard to find because it's not, no longer on Redeemer, uh, Redeemer's website, Redeemer being uh, in Manhattan, and a part of their faith and work initiative, they had a push uh, for enlarging uh, everybody's understanding of the arts and had this quiz and uh, spent an entire month at the church uh, with a number of outings throughout the city, uh, guest speakers, groups, uh, discussion groups. And so that's where uh, I found this. You actually can see a link to a site that uh, talks a little bit more about that. And some of these ideas of being a patron is there as well on Ransom Fellowship's website. But what was, what was surprising about any of these questions? Or uh, what, what do you feel about how your score went? So our children, someone else in our life can be the one that drives us into doing that. That's a great, yeah, good observation. Anyone else? I think at our table that at first blush, there were answers to questions that were notes. And then upon further reflection, it's like, oh, I kind of have that. Or I kind of have that. So mm-hmm. Changes in the question. Changes in the answers as we discuss. Yeah, I haven't got to discuss like you're a patron and you didn't really realize you were. Yes. Because the patron does Right, and that's something we will talk about as well, that it doesn't involve money always. Yes, Bruce. Right, yeah, and that's a wonderful thing to be a patron of. Um, even though it's not necessarily something in the church, but it is something for the, the better good for human flourishing. Smithsonian does a lot of... Yeah. So, question with <coughs> you, if you read a lot of books, are you a patron of the arts? Because writing is Writing is an art form, yes. I, I, it, it depends on how you're engaged with, the, with that, I think would be part of it. And, uh, uh, so, I think there's a way to unpack that. All right, any other quick thoughts? It's a good question. All right, we're going to dive in. All right, so supporting artists and the arts. So we assume that we know what a, what a patron is, right? Well, if you go to the dictionary, as I have each week, uh, patron comes from the Latin patronus. Any Harry Potter fans, does that jump out at you? Expecto patronum, I expect or await a guardian. A patronus is someone who advocates for you. It comes from pater, meaning of father. Uh, a patron, in, in our common usage, every day can be a customer. Your pa- is a patron at a store, that, you know, something as simple as that, all the way to someone who is your patron saint, can be a protector uh, in, in some cultures. In the arts specifically, we use the word patron to describe anything from a casual observer, someone who just buys a ticket to a concert but not necessarily engaging any further, either with the music or with the people who were there uh, with you, all the way to being the strongest supporter, which could be providing a significant financial support, uh, or not necessarily financial, but also um, just a general significant support of people. So why do the arts need patrons? Well, the benefits of the arts are intangible. 
um, that they are not easily measured. Uh, so, you know, honestly, artists need money to, you know, eat. It's not like they are making their art and it magically becomes a, a piece of food. They have to make the art, sell the art, take that money, buy the food. So in, in, in an economy, no matter what your economy, uh, if you're an artist, it's, it, it's this intangible thing. That, uh, it's, but need, we need people that are out there defending uh, that the arts uh, need to be financially and otherwise supported. And so, yeah, they're not profitable. They also don't necessarily make people comfortable. So we need people who are fans, patrons, that can help to support and encourage people that might have an uncomfortable but a necessary voice. And finally, artists are not the best at advocating for themselves. I, speaking as an artist in this regard, uh, we don't, we, we just do what we do and we don't always do a good job of monetizing it. We don't always, we want the art out into the world but then forget that we need to be uh, somehow compensated for the hours and, and, and sweat that we've taken uh, to do that. So we need people who can help to communicate to the world uh, the value of what uh, is being done. So the church, historically, the Western church, has been a patron of the art. Actually, arts, through a specific era, all we have largely is because of the church. So very quick, and this is like layman's history. Don't fact check me, please. Well, you can fact check me, but don't get, don't get nitty gritty on me. All right, the early church, there was art in the early church and was largely uh, many times for teaching purposes. Uh, and for those, it was not a literate reading the page. Obviously, it was an aural tradition. And so uh, artwork was painted onto the walls and in uh, the catacombs. But then with the Edict Milan, what was the Edict Milan? Anybody shout it out. Christ the Christian religion was essentially legalized in the Roman Empire. You were able to freely assemble as Christians. And so that was... The, the first step towards Christianity being a public faith and the, the arts and patrons moved with that. And then into the medieval, late medieval and the Renaissance periods, the arts flourished thanks to the church. Now, a good bit of that was because they had a lot of money and they wanted to show that they had a lot of money and so they built extravagant buildings and they paid, uh, you know, we have the Sistine Chapel because of this. So we're not complaining, but there was a lot of money spent on extravagant things uh, during these periods. Then the Protestant Reformation happened in the middle of all of this, calling to account many of the excesses of the Roman Catholic Church. But we have a, a lot of uh, artists who were influenced by the Protestant Reformation, a lot of Reformed Dutch artists notably, but many others who were influenced by this, and you can see that in um, being able to move away from, so largely the medieval and renaissance periods, the artwork that comes out of these times is religious artwork. It is religious stories. Sometimes the patron is painted next to them along with the saint. And uh, so the Protestant Reformation helped free up having to largely do, as if you're making an arts if you're making arts as a Christian, you don't have to make religious subjects. Uh, we can look at Vermeer. We can look at Rembrandt. Uh, we can look at a lot of the Dutch masters that painted still lifes. They painted pastoral, beautiful landscapes, things that would not have been done in uh, the Roman Catholic Church before then. And then after that, the Council of Trent, which was in response to the Protestant Reformation, they essentially doubled down and went, if anything, more Roman Catholic in their approach in the Baroque period of art. Uh, and then in the 20th century, in the 1960s, the Vatican II Council largely simplified that. But I was reading just yesterday, actually, that there has been a movement in the last 20 or so, maybe even 30 years, to start trying to bring back a little bit more flourish to things uh, in the Catholic Church. So that's a very brief look. We could, do a whole, we could do a whole course on, on those uh, subjects there and get much deeper. So it raises the question, should Christians be patrons? Well, if you look with me in your packet, part of why I gave you this, turn to page three. I put a lot of quotes in there. It would have been tedious for me to put them all up here on this screen and make you read them and get out your uh, magnifying glasses. 
But I'm going to read, and it also would have taken forever, and I just don't have forever. So I'm going to read largely the underlying things and then let you read these on your own. So one, one reason I think that Christians should be patrons, Francis Schaeffer points out that the, because of the lordship of Christ, we should include an interest in the arts. Okay, I'm moving quickly, as I said. Um, it also allows us to have a seat at the table if we're engaging and supporting the arts. Uh, Tim Keller, the best way to help the world is through the arts. Uh, Leland Riken, the arts are the leading edge of culture. And then finally, Ted Schofield, who I believe is connected with Redeemer and is an artist advocate, says, we must be patrons if we are to have an impact on how the world interprets and responds to the arts. And finally, I think another, uh, another point is that we need to care for artists and being patrons as a way to care for them. N.T. Wright in a sermon said that um, many times the Christian poet, painter, sculptor, dancer is regularly regarded as something of a curiosity. But the idea that they are or could be anything more than that is often not even considered. And then finally, there's a, a, a number of quotes there from Con Campbell. He is a jazz musician, but also is an advocate for artists, but also treats his art as, an, as a method of evangelism, that he does his music, but also shares the gospel through his performances. So he, he wrote a book and had a number of interviews with different artists who grapple with these things. And he says, if we're serious about the lives of artists, we're serious about their lives in Christ, we must step up our thinking, strategy, and care. Let's put a stop to typical phenomenon of artists being pushed to the fringe of church life. Um, these are the people God has already given us, and he's advocating largely to say, look for the artists in your community before you feel like you need to go out to reach out to the artists. Um, and a big part of that is that that bridge into those artistic community are the artists who are already in your midst. So he's a strong advocate for being a patron to support artists who are Christians in the art world. But often artists are misunderstood, and I would have been remiss to not have Calvin as a part of our, uh, of our course, because he has a lot to say about aesthetics, and I'm actually not kidding. Uh, one of the beauties of Calvin and Hobbes is that uh, Bill Watterson did an amazing job of putting philosophy into four panels of black and white, and my kids read it now, and they read the books that I read, and I just love that, so... Um, so Calvin walks up to Hobbes and says, take a look at this. Wouldn't you say this is a great painting? I mean, can you believe my teacher didn't like it? She said it wasn't serious. By golly, if this isn't serious art, then nothing is. Who set Miss Wormwood up as an arbiter of aesthetics anyway? This is a beautiful work of power and depth. And Hobbes takes a look. He says, it's a stegosaurus in a rocket ship, right? And he says, see, you understood it. <laughs> So artists need people that understand them. But the church can do a lot to discourage artists. Now, this is actually a two-slide piece, and I'm going to let you read these. This was a, a survey that one of these articles uh, that I was pulling from for this, they did a survey of artists within their church, and this was their responses of the artists. This isn't a pastor or a seminary professor saying this is what the church does. This is actually artists uh, responding to a survey and saying, so as you look at these, think about what is the most convicting to you and why. Yes, and that's, that's the hard thing. And we haven't touched necessarily on the issue of good art, bad art, there, there are objective things, but yeah, there are some subjective pieces. So bad art, one example I might say is, um, was speaking to a friend who is a counselor and uh, he's in Nashville. So a number of his uh, people that he works with are artists, not just musicians. There's a very thriving visual arts community in Nashville. And he has some friends and some that he counsels and he, said, he was very convicted by the fact that when he invites them into his office or at the church, the things that are hanging on the walls have been bought at big box stores, either Ikea 
or a Marshall's, rather than saying, local painter of beautiful works, could we show dignity to your work either by having you or one of your colleagues present something that we can hang on our walls? Yeah, the, the question of bad art is subjective. Um, it's something to grapple with and what, it communicate, what things communicate. I have been guilty in the church even, like as a church leader, I, I've been guilty of doing that very thing. Yeah, so there, artists are misunderstood, but we can also do, do things to discourage them. So how should we then live? Everybody knows where this quote is? At least, yes, Francis Schaeffer, title of a book. Uh, if you go to the back page, again, some quotes from some other people. All right, so for artists, love the church. I encourage you to love the church. Charlie Peacock, who's a songwriter and producer in Nashville, writes, true artists' purpose to love the church despite indifference or opposition or discouragement, we might add, obviously, from that last one, to their work. To the church, Luann Jennings. Does anybody know that name? I found out that she has a history at In-Town. Yeah, 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 she was Luann Purcell. And then she was heading up, uh, I mentioned Redeemer's Arts Initiative. She was heading that up. And I got some other things from, from that. She is now uh, in Waco, Texas at Baylor University, teach, I think teaching theater arts. Um, yeah. But uh, when she was, she was there, she was interviewed um, for Comment Magazine and said, artists will use their gifts. The church must help them discover what outworking glorifies God and what promotes idolatry in any form. So the church helped to encourage artists, but also help, uh, help, help to guide them. And finally, uh, Tim Keller, we need Christian artists because we are never going to reach the world without great Christian art to go with great Christian talk. So the path forward, this is the, the closing uh, for the whole thing. What are, we, what are we supposed to do? First off, I encourage you to develop the habit of participating in the arts. Screw tape letters. I'm not going to ask you to get out to read this. Um, but in the 13th letter to my dear Wormwood, we find that Wormwood's patient is enjoying a book for pleasure rather than to find points to argue with his friends and then enjoying a pleasant walk down to the old mill, finding simple pleasures in art and creation. How disgusting. And this is what I want to draw your attention to at the end of the letter. As one of the humans has said, active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive ones are weakened. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. So develop the habit of participating in the arts. I know that's not necessarily screw tape's point here, but. I, I'm drawing on the idea that habits develop our emotions and develop our connection with something that will draw us deeper into it uh, and be more rewarding as we spend longer in that. Um, ask any musician or any artist who's gone off to school. You get deeper and deeper into something, and it gets more and more... You get, it gets so complicated, uh, you know, having studied music theory and composition in college you get to the point that it's like, I, I, I'm overanalyzing everything, but then there's actually a point that you go beyond it and there's a beauty in the analysis of it. Um, so that, that's one example of how making a habit of being in a specific art, whether as an artist or as uh, a patron. All right, my next encouragement, join in a creative conversation. You'll see at the bottom of that page where I just read quotes from, I'm, I'm listing some creative conversations. This was something that we had started before the pandemic, and thank you, COVID, we had to stop meeting and haven't really been able to rekindle it. But by way of uh, this class, we have a few opportunities coming up to put into practice what we've been talking about. In July, Jane Boutwell will be leading a book discussion of one of the books that I encouraged 
uh, you to get. It's a new one called Redeeming Vision by Elisa Weichbrot. Contact Jane if you have questions. In August, August 18th, Suzanne Thompson is going to host an evening of readings where you bring a reading, a poem, some, uh, some prose, an excerpt from a book, uh, and discuss. We'll have more info about that, but if you're interested, let Suzanne know. I love doing leading film discussions. I actually, in addition to studying music and uh, audio technology, I studied film and did a lot with that. And I love leading film discussions. So um, that's not necessarily something I'm going to be announcing dates for just yet. But if you are interested, please email me and we'll find a date um, to do that. And then finally, we've had something of a creative conversation going on for a number of years that Tricia Agan has been leading on Tuesday nights. Um, and so I uh, included her here, that even though it's not one that is, um, it's not a one-off, it's a regular, but they are tackling the same thoughts and ideas on an ongoing basis by way of literature uh, and discussions. As well, at the end there, I, I put, I'm going to start trying to have some other things centered around the arts that aren't necessarily going to be broadly publicized just because it just gets too much to hear all the things that could be going on. But if you would like to be on a list where I send these sorts of things, please email me and let me know. If you look back at page two, there's a list of books. You, you know, it's, it's only the middle of June. You've still got plenty of time for summer reading. Uh, you can find some good books, um, the QR code there at the end. Um, all right, finally, uh, I encourage you to become a patron. I'm going to list off a couple of quick ways to do that. Become a patron. Buy local. As I said, big box stores are not, lo- are not local. <laughs> they have been produced somewhere, either in Europe or in Asia, for what Western tastes are. And this is if you want to become a patron. I apologize if I'm becoming condescending um, about bringing beauty into your home by, by means of things that have been mass-produced. That's I, not my intention, but I realize if I'm encouraging to avoid those things or to be, be considerate of when you purchase those things, but also to support local artists uh, in, in your community. Second, support people you know. Buy their art. Visit their art gallery. Go to their concert. Go to their book reading. Support them. doesn't necessarily mean it has to be financial. You can go uh, and, and be a part of their lives. Buy things that you love, not just because you think that someone's going to look at your aesthetic taste and say, oh, he knows what he, he has good taste. Don't do that. Find things that you love and then support it. You can go on Etsy. You can go on Bandcamp, uh, which is a site where artists sell their music and don't have to pay as much to Apple Music or you know, losing money through Spotify, that sort of thing. So if you have a musician you love, go buy their album on Bandcamp. And then finally, fund the art that you want to see. In recent years, there's been a couple of a pretty amazing projects. The Bible Project, which are amazing videos that tell, through illustration, tell the story and theology of the Bible. Those have been privately funded by Christians that want that to get out there. Um, the miniseries, The Chosen, you can watch that for free. And it is very good. Am I right? It's very, it is artistically very good. And it's telling a beautiful story to begin with. So that helps too. Both of those have been funded by private investors. And not that you're going to go out and, and you know, pay hot top dollar to go do that. But on smaller ways, you can go on to, to Kickstarter. A number of, I mean, I, I support, there's a handful of musicians that will uh, release things, will, will start a Kickstarter, and uh, you can support them to get their albums actually made before that. You can do the same thing with visual artists. You can do the same thing with game designers. So there's uh, some wonderful things out there on the internet. All right. So your homework for next week and beyond. Find a creative conversation. Become a patron. All right. Questions? Exactly. Hearing stories and hearing, hearing tales like that, I think, is really helpful for understanding of the arts. Rob. We had an earlier question that I had. There's some distinguishing 
So the question is, what, what distinguishes Christian art? And I would actually choose to say, artists who are Christians, operating out of their faith, those are Christian artists. Now, because they aren't necessarily creating religious-themed, so Suzanne doesn't take uh, photos, she takes photos in nature that aren't necessarily telling a story of, from the Bible uh, or from church history, but she is uh, responding to God's creation and um, doing that. Now, and I'm not wanting to denigrate, I do think we need art that expresses those stories. Uh, I mentioned Charlie Peacock earlier. Um, he, uh, in speaking to, to Christians who are songwriters, he, he takes approach because, so Charlie Peacock wrote a handful of songs that were very uh, popular with Amy Grant um, when she had her big breakthrough album into, into the Main Street market, Baby Baby, um, what's the, uh, Every Heartbeat Bears Your Name. He wrote those. And so he, as a Christian, was writing songs that were very big on pop radio. And he tells songwriters, when you're writing a song, if as a Christian, you, not that there's necessarily only two paths, but there's kind of two primary paths. There's one, writing for the church, writing for those who are within the church, and then there's those, writing for those of the watching world. So writing for the church or writing for the watching world. And not that the watching world can't understand the church, but it frees you up to say, which audience am I primarily looking towards? So do you have a follow-up for that? Do you have a question? Or is that, is that helpful? Well, I'm just sitting here thinking of, um, and, and I know you probably need to go precinct, but, um, okay, so in the past we've done, um, during the reawakening season, we've done, um, can y'all hear me, a blog um, of devotions with artwork, and we've invited artists into that. Well, we've had artists in our midst who um, paint a lot of news. Uh, there's studies of the Mm-hmm. And that was something we felt like it was inappropriate to mm-hmm. use. However, this is a Christian and a good artist, and they're the, sub- the subject matter. So is that Christian art? I mean, that, that gets a little complex for yeah. me, but... Um, so the Bible has some pretty offensive things in it, does it not? It has some stories that are kind of violent, and some, some stories that we kind of wish the people of God weren't a part of but they happen, and they're still in there. And I'm not necessarily saying that this applies just to the question, and for those that may not have heard that in the back, it's it's a question of subject matter. Can Christians make art of things um, that are of, say, the human body? And I think that this this gets at kind of an interesting piece because it, it is cultural, I will say, because if you go to Europe, you go to England the human body is not necessarily a sexual object. Whereas in America, gratuitous violence, and not that there are Christians making violent things, but I, there's a beautiful uh, film called To End All Wars. It's a war film, and is uh, written and uh, produced by a, a Christian screenwriter. They had to show some of this, this really violent stuff. But you go to Canada, you go to Europe, and gratuitous violence is actually very offensive. Um, so I think it's something that I'm still grappling with and try to explain it well, but there are some, uh, some good resources out there. Um, but I do think, and, and I do think that in the context of if you're creating a piece that has a, a specific audience, I, I think you do, we do have to consider audience in that. So, Bruce.
so they didn't have all the same books at the same time. Therefore, not all art necessarily needs to be given and provided to people at all ages at all times. And they're going to understand it, and especially if we're engaging with the arts, we have the opportunity to talk about stuff as we're consuming. Many times what we do is we consume lots of stuff without engaging our minds. And that goes for our children and people in church. So indiscriminate looking and seeing and observing and participating in art without engaging our hearts and our minds along with it provides those places where we don't know the difference between, say, some of the things you're talking about with, with it being offensive or being over-sexualized or other things like that. And it might just be that we need to talk about it a little bit more. So. That's a very good point. Thank you, Betty. All right. So I have a 16-minute video to show you. And this is uh, an interview that I did with Steve Thrall. He will introduce himself, uh, and you'll get to know him. But um, it was, uh, I think he touches on a number of things and has some pretty amazing stories about doing ministry with artists. So here is Steve Thrall. Well, I'm here with uh, Steve Thrall uh, to talk about his uh, work in France. Um, Steve, thanks for uh, joining me for this conversation uh, as part of our series on arts and creativity. Um, Pleasure. Yeah. For those that uh, for those who are listening that don't know you, um, could you introduce yourself? Uh, tell sure. us what your connection with InTown is and uh, tell us a bit, about, a bit about what you do uh, right now. Well, uh, my wife and I are missionaries in France. We've been here for 35 years and we work primarily with artists. That's the, our primary ministry. Um, we first met InTown when uh, my son and daughter-in-law began attending in 2017, J Julien Hogan uh, and my daughter's Rebecca, many, many people probably reckon, uh, remember them. And uh, they were there for three years while Julien was leading a research team at, uh, at Emory. And uh, we came quite a few times during their visit and just fell in love with the church and, and began uh, interacting with people at that point. Describe your work that you are, are currently doing in, in France. Well, for 10 years, uh, we we lived in downtown Paris, and we ran uh, an art center. It was primarily a gallery uh, with uh, music and theater and other things happening in the evenings. Um, and it, five years ago, my wife and I moved to Normandy, uh, about an hour and a half west of Paris, and we created an arts artist retreat uh, to meet the needs of the creative artist community in Paris, both Christians and non-Christians. We like to think of it a little bit like, like a libri for artists, where artists can come and, and get their questions answered, be, be themselves, explore creativity, work on their art, uh, have long walks, nice meals together, and things like that. Great. So what, um, what was your background that brought you to, to working with artists in France? Well, it's a, it's a strange one. God, God did some unusual things. We came to France in 1988 to do church planting, and for 12 years, that was our primary role. We were planting a church in downtown Paris at uh, Place de la République, a uh, multicultural neighborhood. And the church was never a large church. Uh, it was a very active church, but we never had more than, say, 50 adults connected to the church and about 20 kids. But it represented uh, about 20 or 25 different nationalities. The common language was French. Uh, and in that small church, there were some, some significant artists. We had people involved in theater. We had people who were studying at the time with Marcel Marceau, uh, the mime artist, just, and his school was just down the street. Uh, we had two visual artists, a husband and wife, who met the Lord in a miraculous way came to our church. Uh, I had the privilege of baptizing them. It was only later that I began to realize how significant they were as artists, recognized as artists uh, in Paris. Uh, so it was those types of experience and seeing God use, use these artists in unusual ways in reaching people and touching people's hearts in a way that, that um, made me almost jealous as a missionary. I wanted to be able to communicate in that way. And for the artists, it just happened naturally. And I, I had to learn why? And that was what launched me in the mid-90s uh, in a ministry more and more toward, turned towards artists. Yeah. So what would you say um, is unique about doing ministry among artists? 
I find that artists are very sensitive people. They uh, they are extremely creative. Uh, they're intuitive. Um, they're people that um, most artists just create art naturally uh, without. I mean, there's a lot of work involved, but what I mean is the gifting comes naturally. And they think outside the box. They think differently. And that's one of the reasons why they haven't always had a warm welcome in the church uh, because they upset the apple cart by being there. But I found that when uh, churches allow artists to be who they are and to use their gifts to sort of upset the, the, the regular way we do ministry, Ministry happens in unusual ways, and God shows up, and we've seen that over and over again. Um, and so, in our work with artists, we want to empower them, we want to love and respect them, we want to pray for them, we want to free them up uh, to begin to 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 free them to think outside the box and to work outside the box, uh, and call others from the church community to join them in some of their projects. And what would you say uh, for those within the church has has been uh, both a challenge, like what like you talk about that it upsets things? If you like, do you, can you think of a specific example? But also maybe what was something beautiful that came out of uh, developing this better, closer connection between the church and and arts? Yeah, um, you know, I think that. Um, we get nervous when um, uh, people, when when there's public figures that are in our church, like say a, a politician, um, it 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 tends to divide people because you don't want to be too closely associated with their politics, but you want to be a brother or sister in Christ. Um, and artists are also public figures, and that's one of the reasons why churches react. If the person, if the artist is um, as a public figure is well known in the city or the community. Um, their art is becomes identified with the church. So I think it's important for the church to, ident- to understand what that artist is doing, what she is up to, what motivates her, what uh, how her faith is integrated into her thinking about, about art, and uh, su- providing a support team uh, for that artist to make him or her uh, a strong, um, have a Someone has their back. In other words, the church has their back and is encouraging them to go forward in the arts. But it leads us into um, things that are unusual. We had um, uh, we've had in- encounters with artists who um, who just think differently. Um, uh, the, one of one of the things that comes to mind is, a, is an Italian artist that my wife met uh, at an art show in Paris, not too far away from where we live. And we invited him to come over one day uh, to the art gallery. And this was early on. And he walked in. He walked the length of the art gallery. He turned around and he said, I'm supposed to do my show here. <laughs> I chuckled because I said, that's not, not normally the way it's done. You know? <laughs> and as soon as I did, because he was crestfallen and he was hurt. And what he was trying to communicate was this was a significant Thing. He he walked in and he knew there's something about this place that corresponded with his art. And so we went ahead and did a show with him. And it was through him we met a lot of artists in the art, arts community. We met um, we met people that we never would have met. I met a woman who was a, a film director. And um, she was the one that came up to me uh, at the opening of his art show. And she, and she heard that I was a pastor and she said, are you really a pastor? And she was whispering. I said, yeah. And she said, "Um, well, she said, "Um, we need to talk. And she was really whispering right up in my face. It was odd. And I I said, "Um, all right, but why are we whispering? She she looked around and she says, this room is filled with people from the, uh, from the film industry. If any of them heard that I was talking to you about God, I might lose my job. And mm-hmm. this was a you know extremely secular culture, mm-hmm. and to be an intellectual in France, you have to have to be willing to say that you don't believe in God because that's the only way you're trusted as an intellectual. Oh. She was she was risking that trust by saying that she now believes in God. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, but it was through that art that Italian artist, and he mm-hmm. there's only one example of the people that he introduced to us, and I I look back and say that was God, even though he's not a believer. That was God saying to him, you need to do a show here. Uh, they need you, in other words. So um, 
what led you to uh, transition to doing this artist's retreat in Normandy? Well, one of the things we discovered working in a world-class city is that people are constantly in motion, constantly constantly involved with things, and artists are invited to all kinds of events. And, and if, if, for anyone who is creative, you know that you need some quiet time to 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 reflect to contemplate to to begin to um to doodle or to play music and just things began to happen but you need a quiet space so we wanted to provide that for our artist friends in the city have there been uh any unique stories that have come out of your time there we have a a woman who we've known for many years she called us we hadn't seen her for about two or three years but she called us last summer and she said, I really need your help. Uh, she said, um, during during COVID, um, this theater uh, invited several artists to uh, to um, do an outline of a, of a show that they wanted to do. And then they would pick one and they would fund the production of that show. And she said, during COVID, the, uh, the funding dried up, but the theater was, is pleading with me to do the show. And she said, I only have a month to write this thing. And uh, I'm desperate. Can you take me? I have three kids at home, but if I could come for three full days and not see anybody, I could probably get it written. But she worked about 18 hours a day and she went back to Paris and she put the show on and she she showed it over the course of six weeks, uh, about eight times, and it was to pack crowds. And then she just did another series with the same show at the theater um, uh, in the spring again, to pack crowds. So um, it was wonderful to be able to be part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's here's a believer who loves the Lord. It wasn't a show that was um, an evangelistic project in any way, but it was exploring um, humorously. It was exploring our identity uh, and what we're willing to tell other people and what we really feel inside. And, and, And you saw both sides and you would chuckle because you you recognize that's human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was a, it was a really well done show. Yeah. We have a, an artist coming next month who, who's working hard on the, on the link between fashion design and theological reflection on human identity. Hmm. Uh, and he's actually a musician and a filmmaker in addition, very creative. Yeah. Last year he had a, a short film that was in competition at the con film festival. He's only 30. I mean, this is, and he's a Christian, you know, wow. and his wife's a painter. So to be able to be surrounded by people with this, this kind of talent and many of them using it for the Lord's glory and the ones that aren't Christians yet, we're really excited when they come because we get a chance to hang out with them and encourage them in their art, which is God-given. Mm-hmm. These gifts are part of being created in God's image. So right. it's part of creation, uh, it's part of who they are. And we can affirm that, even though they may not have a commitment to the Lord, we can affirm and work with them in their in their art and help them go further and have these conversations about the Lord, which are fun. Yeah, very dignifying uh, to that that all of us are created in that image. Um, so, what do you feel for you is something that you've learned um, either about God as a creative God or just something that um, has uh, impacted your faith? through working uh, with arts for these many years? I learned that art is a language, um, and it's a very important language for many, many people, especially in French culture. Uh, They absolutely love the arts in France. Uh, Everyone does. And so I've seen God at work in very unusual ways. Um, uh, We have done done, uh, shows with uh, artists who are Christians and not Christians, but it opened up conversations. Um, and I feel sometimes that I've been so far outside the box and all of a sudden I open another door and there's God standing there saying, I was waiting until you showed up. Now let's <laughs> get to work. Uh, and he's already so far ahead of us. And, and I realized in some of these things where I have felt uncomfortable because I'm not doing traditional ministry, that the doors open and I see God at work in the hearts of these people that I never would have met. I had a conversation with a with a painter uh, up at Montmartre one day. Um, he was considering doing a show at our art gallery, and he invited me to come see him. He was a I had just met him once, 
So I walk into his uh, studio. Uh, he was 80 years old, a long gray hair, long gray beard, and a big artist smock. And he reminded me a little bit of Monet. Mm. Uh, and we sat down at his table surrounded by his art. And I just asked him, I said, Michel, where does your inspiration come from? And he said, oh, that's easy, nature. He said, when I was a kid, my grandfather and I used to go out in the forest to get things to eat. We uh, didn't have any money, and we ate a lot. It was during World War II. He said, we ate a lot of things we found in the forest. Mm. And I began to sketch them as a kid. And he said, um, I still am excited about nature. I'm still learning. And I just blurted out, Michelle, I think you're seeing God's fingerprints. And he said, hmm, did you know I'm, a, I'm an atheist? <laughs> I said, well, actually, yes, but you know I'm a pastor, and I still think you're seeing God's fingerprints. And he thought for a minute, he said, that's an interesting thought. Would you mind if we talk about that a bit? And for 25 minutes, we went on in a conversation, and it was the first time in this man's life that he had had a conversation about God. He spent 35 years as the head of the of French anarchist party, oh. uh, but a well-respected artist in Paris. And yet here we are having a conversation about the Lord, about being the creator, about being God being the source of creativity. And he was listening and interacting. And just to have those kinds of experiences, it just blows my mind. It wasn't in a church. I wasn't preaching. It was just God opened up the conversation. And um, it's through taking those steps where you're you're feeling nervous and feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And I find that sometimes when you feel uncomfortable, that's just the place God wants you to be. Hmm. Wow. Well, that's, a, I think, a great place to close our conversation. Um, Steve, I really, really appreciate uh, your time uh, with us today. And um, God bless you on uh, your work there in France. And uh, hopefully someday we might see you back here in the States. Yeah. So. And uh, any artist is welcome to come for a visit. We have Americans occasionally, so we'd love to have you. Okay. Well, that might, some, I might be a few here that might take you up on that. So okay, great. great. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right. Take care.